If I were to ask you this morning to rate your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being inconsistent and unfruitful, so to speak, 10 being constant and very fruitful, how would you respond? What would you think? What number would you, would you give your prayer life according to those two things? Well, as I began to get ready to do this study, I thought, I, I want to find out what people think. And so I went in and I did some research and I, I found some statistics that I think we might find interesting here. Uh, in one poll that, that I read, it said that more than half, 55% of Americans say they pray every day. This was according to a Pew Research poll. 21% say they pray weekly or monthly. 23% say they seldom or never pray. Even among those who are religiously unaffiliated, someone that just says, I have no religion. Interesting, 20% say they pray daily. Um, some nice statistics about women and men. I'm not going to read them all, although I will tell you women pray more than men do. Not a big surprise. Uh, a majority of Christians, 55%, say they rely a lot on prayer and personal religious reflection when making major life decisions. And that same survey said 63% of Christians in the United States say praying regularly is an essential part of their Christian identity. Well, just a few more in a U.S. News uh, and uh, BeliefNet poll. Uh, 56% say they most often pray for family members, with 3.3% saying that they pray for strangers. A little over 38% say the most important purpose of prayer is intimacy with God. 41% say their prayers are answered often. 1.5% say their prayers are never answered. Uh, 73% say when their prayers are not answered, the most important reason is because they did not fit in God's plan. That's interesting. 5% say they pray most often in a house of worship. 79% say they pray most often at home. Now here's some other interesting statistics. This is another survey with pastors. 16% of pastors are very satisfied. With their prayer life. Only 16%. And I'm thinking of that 1 to 10 scale. You mean some of those pastors might be a 5 or less on that scale. Hmm. 47% are somewhat satisfied. And 30% somewhat dissatisfied. 7% are just plain dissatisfied. 7% of pastors dissatisfied with their prayer life. A lot of interesting information there. I will tell you this, one thing I know for sure is that almost every pastor, if you ask them what's the least attended meeting that you have, they will tell you it's a prayer meeting. Now, I could stand up here and beat the sheep this morning and chastise you guys for not being at all the prayer meetings, but I don't really think that's going to be very helpful. What I do think would be helpful is to look at Scripture and say, can we get a better understanding of how our prayer life might be more fruitful. When I teach in the Firm Foundation class on uh, prayer, uh, it's interesting. I bring out a little book called, um, I forget what it's called, but it's by Ian Bounds, On Prayer. And you realize that this man wrote seven volumes on prayer alone. Seven volumes on just on prayer. 
So I think we would all say one thing for sure. Um, even if we have a great prayer life, it could always get better, right? So this morning, hopefully that's going to happen. Remember James 5.16, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and that means man or woman, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Now, many of you have heard um, teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And in fact, I've taught on that, and I, we do that also in the Firm Foundation class. And we look at the Lord's Prayer when, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, teach us to pray, Lord. They wanted to know how to pray because they watched Jesus and they saw what his prayer life was like. And that is a great model to use, I think, for our quiet time. I encourage that highly to use that model in your quiet time in the morning each day. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we're to pray without ceasing. And that means that we're really to pray more than just our quiet time. That we really want to talk to God about everything in our life. That's what Paul is telling us. And then today I think we're going to focus a little more on those special times of prayer. Those times when we recognize that we desperately need God's help and God's direction. So we would ask, well, is there any guidance in the Bible that would help us in those particular times when, when I feel desperate, when I really need God to step in and intervene? And I think there is. And uh, David in particular wrote a group of Psalms, 140 through 145. This group is all prayers that David prayed. And they're in the book of Psalms. And I believe those particular Psalms can give us a lot of insight on how to pray in those times where we're in desperate need. So um, this morning we're going to be sharing in Psalm 143. Now I want to share three things about David before we get started. And I want to do that because we typically can look at a person like David and they go, oh, well, he's going to talk about David. But, you know, David was this special guy. He was the king of Israel. He was anointed by God. How can we compare ourselves to David? And we kind of do that, and then we tend to tune out of the message. Because we're like, well, that's for him, but that's not for me. Well, I want to share three things about King David, the writer of these Psalms. First, it is true. David was called a man after God's own heart. No question about that. But guess what? Secondly, about David. David messed up. David sinned as much or probably more than any of us in this building right here. This man after God's own heart was a sinner just like you and just like me. But thirdly, David was a man of constant prayer. When you read um, about David's life, when you follow it in, uh, in Scripture, you see he was a man of constant prayer... And you also see that God answered those prayers. So I want us to understand that we have a lot that we can learn from David. And don't think that it's just for him, it's for us as well. So let's take a look back again in Psalm 143, starting in verse 1. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. Now I want you to understand this, hear my prayer, O Lord. This is a pleading from David for God to listen to his prayers. Flip back real quick, if you would, to Psalm 4, verse 1. Psalm 4, verse 1. And David starts out this way. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. 
You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And then flip one more over, Psalm 5.1, he says again, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. My groaning. See, David is pleading with God to hear this prayer. Now, it's not that David doesn't think that God's going to hear him. David knows that God will hear his prayer. But he's expressing a great amount of passion for this particular prayer and what he's going to be asking for. It's an emphatic cry to God. We might say something like this, if it was us today in our modern vernacular. We would be saying, God, please, please, please hear what I'm going to ask you for. Please listen to me this morning. That's the way we might say it. Now, the word supplication here means that David is going to ask God for God's favor. That's really what a supplication is. We hear that term a lot. You know, um, prayer with supplication. It's asking for God's favor, and it's a continual pleading for God's favor. And you see here that, that David is not afraid to come to God and to ask for something he wants. Now, let's be honest this morning as we think about how we rated our prayer life. Do you and I sometimes struggle just even asking God for what we really want? Maybe it's just me. I hope not. But I know that I often do. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Why would we struggle with asking God for things that we want? And I, I think there's a few reasons. But I think one is that we really feel unworthy to come before God and ask Him for something we want. Yes? Am I, is anybody with me here? I'm, I'm feeling very lonely right now. Um, you know, I think it's that, that we really know we don't deserve God's favor, so why should we be asking Him for things? I think another reason is that we sometimes don't trust ourselves to ask for the right things. Because we kind of know that we can be selfish and that we want to just ask for things in the flesh. And, you know, James even reinforced that thought, didn't he? And in chapter 4, verse 3 of his epistle, he says, You have not because you ask for the wrong reasons, and so you don't receive. And so that kind of even reinforces in us that fear of asking for the wrong things. But remember that James also said, You have not because you ask not. I love the fact you guys know your Bible. So it is true, and we admit that it's true, that we don't deserve the things that God gives us, but... Fortunately, his answers are not predicated on us and our righteousness and our, our deserving or our faithfulness to him. It really has nothing to do with what we deserve. And David knows this, so he's not shy in bringing his request. In fact, he shows us why he can be so bold in his request in the next part of that verse. He says, answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. You see, David is seeking God's answer to his plea based upon God's own characteristics. He says, God, you are faithful and you are righteous. And I can come to you with my request because you are faithful and because you are righteous, not me. David knows that he's not righteous in himself. He knows that along with everybody else. But that's not going to hinder him from coming passionately before the Lord to ask him for favor. You know, David's so aware of his own sinfulness that in the very next sentence, 
If you notice here, he pleads with God not to judge him. In verse 2, he says, Lord, and do not enter into judgment with your servant. He knows that he deserves judgment. But I like what he says next, because he says this. He kind of makes a case here. He says, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight, no man living is righteous. Not just me, God, but nobody out here is righteous. And he's correct. So he makes that case with the Lord. What I like about this is that really, if you think about this, David is asking in this prayer in really the same way that Jesus instructed his disciples and us to ask God as well. You know, Jesus said over and over to his disciples to ask the Father in Jesus' name for what our heart's desires are. Now, when he says in Jesus' name, that means according to his will, according to his nature, and according to his character. It means according to his faithful and righteous way. Remember when we say in Jesus' name, I know you get tired of hearing me say that, but it's not hashtag in the name of Jesus. It means all of these things. And Jesus said this, and he said it in John 14, 13, 15, 16, and 16, 23. Whenever something's said three times, you can take that to the bank. He said this, that any request which is in accord with God's will would be granted. That's what Jesus said. But I think if we would be really honest, one of the other reasons that we sometimes don't ask for what we want is because we're really not sure Jesus meant what he said. We really don't always believe that Jesus meant that if it was in his will, he would grant it. We lack faith. We lack trust. And it's not that we don't want to trust. I think most of us in here want to have that kind of faith that just says, I believe, I believe, I believe. But remember, it's not just believing in something that's going to happen. It's belief in Jesus Christ. Our faith must have an object, and the object is Jesus. It's not our faith. It's not faith in our faith. But you know, in our experience, it seems sometimes that God doesn't answer our prayer. At least he doesn't answer it in the way that we ask, right? So then we kind of, well, I'm not sure. Did I just ask the wrong thing? Was I not in the spirit? Was I in the flesh? Or, or God, did you really even hear that prayer? Now, I know if you were to be honest, sometimes you have said that to God. God, are you really even listening? I'm pouring my heart out to you. Are you there? Are you hearing? Are you listening? And, you know, in our human nature, then when the prayer isn't answered the way we want it to be, we kind of, instead of maybe trying to figure out why, we kind of go, I don't know if I trust God the way I did before because he didn't answer my prayer. I'm just laying it out and being honest. I think we do that. And then when we start thinking, well, I'm not really trusting God, then what happens? We go to the next cycle, which is now we feel guilty about that, right? Now we're sitting there, oh, man, I'm just terrible. I, can't, I don't even trust God for anything. And I, you know, we beat ourselves up over that. And so sometimes we don't ask because I don't want to wrestle through all that. Have you ever done that? You go, I just don't even want to bother because then if my prayer doesn't get answered, then I got to wrestle with is my lack of faith or do I just not believe God enough or, you know, and we just kind of, so maybe we don't really ask with that passion that, that we might have. But I think we could learn a lesson. Remember the father of the boy with an unclean spirit in the book of Mark? Remember him? He brought his son to Jesus and he wanted 
that that spirit to be cast out. And, and Jesus said to him, you know what? All things are possible for those who believe. And when he said that, he didn't mean all things are possible for those who believe and that something is possible. All things are possible for those who believe, meaning believe in me, Jesus. And the man answered him. He said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. You see, that's us. That's us, folks. I know you believe in Jesus, but you know what? Sometimes we don't believe enough in Jesus about who he is and what he can do and what he will do and how much he loves us. So we just say, Lord, I believe you, but I need you to help me with those areas that I really don't trust, or I really don't believe. Now, if we look again at David's request and how he brought it to the Lord, I want you to notice one more thing. When David came to the Lord and, and asked not to be judged, it shows another thing about David. It shows his humility, doesn't it? You know, David was a humble man. He knew he was undeserving of things that God had given to him. And he comes in that humility. You know, Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. And we are to do that. But I think when we come boldly, we can still come in humility. Humility just means, I'm coming to you boldly, Lord, because you told me I could because of what you've done. Nothing in me. Nothing in me. We need to remember that we come through one thing only, and that is the fact that Jesus died for our sin, and he has become our high priest. And when we come to God the Father, we don't come on our own basis. We come through our high priest, the only mediator that we have, Jesus Christ, not through ourselves. Or any other man. And I think that that's how David comes before the Lord. Well verse 3. David begins laying out his case here. He says. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places. Like those who have been long dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. You see David pours out his heart before the Lord now. He doesn't hold back. And he's going to make his case here. Now you. You might recall David's circumstances. When he wrote these verses, he was still in that place where he had been anointed king already, but he wasn't king. In fact, um, history shows that after David was anointed king, it took him somewhere between 15 and 20 years to actually take the throne. And during that time, you remember that Saul kept persecuting him? Saul kept attacking him. He'd bring David into the house, throw spears at him. I don't know how David, you know, dodged those, but he did. He'd run away. He'd hide. And uh, this is what his circumstances were for a long time. And I want you to notice something else here. That the persecution by Saul, this physical persecution that was happening to him, affected David's spirit and David's heart. In other words, David's outward troubles were causing... In inward agony, he says, therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me and my heart is appalled within me. And boy, isn't that the truth? When our outward circumstances are really difficult, doesn't it bring inward agony the way that David was feeling it here? But David's not afraid to tell the Lord how he feels about this. And I think this is a really important point for us. And if you're taking notes, I hope you write these down. David expresses how he really feels to the Lord. And it's so important because I think sometimes we don't do that. 
I think we don't always express how we're feeling. It's, it's like we're ashamed to say that we're struggling with anxiety and fear about our situation. Um, and I think we do that because it makes us feel less spiritual if we admit it to God, right? I mean, after all, Jesus told us, hey, don't be anxious, don't worry. And over and over he said, do not fear, don't be afraid. And so we know Jesus has told us those things. So we, we feel like, okay, if I go to God and I tell him how I really feel, I, I'm, coming, I'm not very spiritual. I, I, I'm just not doing what Jesus told me to do. So I got a newsflash for you guys. All of us are going to have times where we're going to struggle with fear and anxiety in our life. Okay? Yes, even us pastors. We're going to have times when we're a little bit afraid. We're going to have times when, when the anxiousness begins to overtake us because we're all human. David was certainly not some wimpy believer, was he? This is the guy that slew Goliath, took a slingshot against this giant. He wasn't afraid of much, but he has anxiety, he has fear, and he admits it to God. If you look at even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.8, and I would say, I don't know about you, but I think Paul had a pretty strong relationship with Jesus, wouldn't you say? I think so. He said this, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. This is Paul speaking. So the trick here is not that you're not ever going to be in that place. The trick is not to stay in that place. And look, is there any sense in trying to hide how we feel from God? I mean, I think he knows it. I think we're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. So let's not hide it. Let's be like David when when we're weak. Let's admit it to God. Let's just tell him. And let's ask him to give us his strength. And you know, when we do that, that's when we open the door for the Holy Spirit to work in our life. It's God who strengthens us, not us. And guess what? He's going to do one of two things. I'm going to give you a second to think about it. He's going to do one of two things. One thing is, he's either going to change this circumstance that we're in when we come to him and plead with him, or he might do one other thing. Do you know what that is? You don't have to tell me, but I want you to think about it. He might decide, instead of changing the circumstance, to change us. Instead of changing the circumstance, he might want to change us in the circumstance. There was a man who gave his business to God. He had hassled over it for years. He had wrestled with it and fought for it for two decades. One day he decided, I've had it, that's enough. He had heard from his pastor that Sunday morning about the value of turning his entire business over to God. It was when he drove away from the church that he decided he had worried enough. By the time he got home, he had totally and unequivocally committed his business to God. That very night, his place of business caught on fire. He got an emergency call. He rather calmly drove down to the commercial residence and was standing on the street watching the place go up in flames. He was sort of smiling to himself. One of his colleagues raced to his side and questioned his relaxed attitude about what was happening. Man, don't you know what's happening to you? It's burning up. 
He replied, I know it. I know it. No problem, Fred. This morning, I gave this company to God. And if he wants to burn it up, that's his business. (laughs) Sometimes God wants to change us within the circumstance rather than changing the circumstance. Okay, more good stuff here. Verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. See, quite often, if you read David, quite often when he's in a place of despair and turmoil, he thinks about what God has done previously. And that gives him hope. And I think one of the very best ways to overcome despair is to muse on the work of God's hands. To remember all that he is and to remember all that he's done. You know, that's why the Jewish people were so adamant about teaching their children about the mighty works God had done in their previous history. And especially their rescue from Egypt. They, they tend to emphasize that. Again and again, they would teach their children what God had already done. And they believed if he rescued them in the past, it was going to give them hope that he would do that again. You know, it's kind of sad to think today that most Jews don't seem to have that hope. And many don't even bother teaching their children anymore. And part of that's because many of them don't even believe God actually did those miracles. And so I wonder, what do they find their hope in today? But I want to ask you, do we tend to forget what God has done for us? And I think we do oftentimes. And when we do, that's why we feel so much despair in the midst of our trials, because We have forgotten about what God has done for us in the past. We've forgotten about those many times when we were already in a bad situation and God saw us through. More than that, we forget about who God is, how powerful he is. He's the creator of the universe. And we need to remember. Now, I'm not saying we should live in the past. I don't think that's a good idea. But remembering the times that God brought us through our trials, it reminds us that he loves us, And that he cares about us. And that he will do it again. He will do what's needed and he will do what's necessary. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. And that way you won't continue to despair because you begin to move from being despairing over your circumstances to being reminded of who is in control. Verse 6, David says this, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land, Selah. Selah meaning pause, think about this. So let's think about this for a second. I want to ask you a question. When you come to the Lord in prayer, does your soul long for Jesus? You see, when you come to the Lord in any kind of prayer, but especially when you're in desperate need, you need to ask yourself a question. What am I really asking for? What is my real need? Now, I'm not saying your real need isn't either to change the circumstance or have God do something in you, but your real need is to have a stronger relationship with Jesus. Does your soul long for that? To be stronger in your bond with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And then secondly, will you stretch out your hands to him? You go, well, what does that mean? Well, it's an interesting phrase here. And what it does is it acknowledges two things. Again, you might want to write these down. Two things. When you stretch out your hands, it's an acknowledgement of two things. One is desperation, and two is 
dependence. It signifies desperation and dependence. So think of a child. And if you're a grandparent, you, you know what I'm talking about. When, when you're with your grandkids and they're standing there in their little thing and all of a sudden they go, Oh, yeah. And you pick them up and it's just one of the greatest things. You know when you're, they were your own kids, you were like, just walk, you can walk, okay? But when they're your grandkids, oh, you pick them up and you hug them and, and you're just so thankful that they want to be held by you and they want to be picked up. You see, they're dependent upon you for a need that they have. But also think, think of a drowning person. They're in the water and they're reaching out and they're wanting someone to throw them a life-saving device that they can reach out and get saved with, right? Or think of Indiana Jones. You know, Indiana Jones in the, in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Come on, tell me somebody you've, you've seen this movie or I'm not even going to tell this story. Well, in the kingdom of the crystal skull, he's stuck in quicksand, right? And, and he asks the one guy to go get him help. And the next thing you know, his, his son that he finds out was his son and, and his uh, soon-to-be wife, we'll put it that way, uh, you know, they find a snake. You remember that? Well, the thing is, Indiana Jones, how does he feel about snakes? He hates snakes! And so they're going to throw him the snake and... And he won't take it. He's desperate. He's sinking in the quicksand, but he won't take the snake. And he says, he says, don't call it a snake. Call it a rope. And they're like, huh? I go, call it a rope. Okay, grab the rope. And then he reaches out his hands and he grabs the snake. You see, he was so desperate and he was so dependent that he would even reach out and grab the snake as long as they called it a rope. The point is that it shows David here He was completely dependent upon God. And so he's stretching out his hands. Completely dependent. Completely desperate. He's saying, Lord, I can't solve this myself. And nobody else around here can. Only you can solve this. So I'm stretching out my hands to you. We need to know that. There's so many times in our life when we're desperate and we need to be dependent. And we need to depend on God because he has the only answer for us. Verse 7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Now, I I like this because David's saying, you know, Lord, I've been going through this a while. and I I want an answer and I want it now. And I think sometimes we don't want to do that. It's like, I don't want to place demands on God. He's not placing a demand, but he's asking what he really wants. He wants a quick answer. Can you do this now? And, you know, I like quick answers. I don't know about you, but I like fast answers. I love it when God does something right away. Um, the other day, it was great. My, my daughter and her husband, they're all living with us right now, by the way. I have six people in my, extra people in my little 1,300 square foot house for the last four months. So, maybe I am a little desperate. I don't know. But, but my daughter was on the phone with the Edison company, and they're trying to get the electricity turned on. They, they've, they're finally at this point where they're getting really close to move in and, 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 and she's been kind of the project manager as well as you know, the, 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 the buyer of this, of this house. And so she's been, I'm telling you, she's a trooper. And she's been on these things one after the other after the other, but you know it gets tiring and wearing. So I, I just happened to be standing there and she's on with Edison and 
you know, and they, and they, they get on there, and you know how they tell you um, that the wait will be 10 to 15 minutes. And I saw the look on her face. And then what happens was then it hung up on her. Now I got to start the whole thing over, and then I got to hear, you know, I don't know, wait, it'll be 10 to 15 minutes. And I saw this look on her face, and I just went, Lord, would you please just drop every other phone call that's on there right now? Would you just help this to happen quickly? I'm telling you something. No sooner did she say amen than the girl answered the phone. It was awesome. Now, I'm not saying God does that all the time, but you know what? I walked out of there feeling pretty good. Thank you, Lord. That was awesome. Answer me quickly, Lord. It's okay to ask for a speedy answer when you're desperate. You know, David's in this place where he doesn't really think he can survive much longer. He goes, I'm going to become like those who go down to the pit. That's how he was feeling at the time. But, you know, after he pours his heart out to the Lord, I want you to watch here some things that change in this particular psalm. Starting in verse 8, he says, Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me in the way which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now, I want you to notice four points here. Underline them, shade them, whatever you want to do. Four things here. Number one, David acknowledges his trust in God. He acknowledges his trust in God. Look in verse 8, I trust in you. Verse 9, he says, deliver me, O Lord, because he knows God can. He acknowledges his trust in God. Then he declares God's goodness. Verse 8, your loving kindness. Verse 10, your good spirit. He acknowledges God's goodness. Then he also reveals here his intimate relationship with God. He says, for to you I lift up my soul. For to you I lift up my soul. Then he says in verse 9, I take refuge in you. And then in verse 10 he says, you are my God. You're not just God. You are my God. He, he shows the intimate relationship that he had with God. And then three times, three times, he includes something that I believe should always be part of our prayer. When we, if we want to have an effective prayer life, if we are coming to God in need and in desperation and dependence, here's something that we should always include. He says, teach me the way in which I should walk in verse 8. Lord, teach me the way in which I should walk. In verse 10, he says, teach me to do your will. And then he says, let your good spirit lead me. So teach me, teach me and lead me. That needs to be part of our prayer when we're coming to God in those circumstances. Because again, God might want to change you in the circumstances. So we come and we say, God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. But you know what? I need you to teach me in this situation. Maybe I'm in this situation because I did something wrong. And I want to know what it is that I did. I want to know how I got here. But maybe that's not it. Maybe the Lord just wants to teach you that there's evil out there in the world. Despite the fact that we have a lot of people that are oblivious to it. They, I don't know. They're in la-la land. But maybe God wants to show you that. And that you need to pray a certain way. Whatever it is, always include in that prayer, God, whatever you want to teach me here, whatever you want to learn, and then lead me. Lead me. 
Guide me in the way that you want me to go. This should always be part of our request. Well, now David begins to conclude this prayer in verse 11. He says, for the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. And I I love that because he's always going back to God. Lord, do this because of your name, your name. And he says, revive me in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. So I think what we see here is that David is not just asking just to be rescued from his physical circumstance. Although I'm sure that's what he wants. But that's not all he's asking for. He says, bring my soul out of trouble. That word soul in Hebrew, nefesh, it means who I am, my whole being. He's talking about his emotional need as well here. He says here, and if you look at the word revive me, reviving means I need you to refresh and revive my spirit, my soul, my inner being, my thoughts, my emotions. So I'm not just asking for physical restoration here. I'm not just asking you to take me out of this situation, but Lord, I need... I need in here. I need you to work in here as well. And I think that's awesome. And then he says in verse 12, In your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Okay. Now we read this, and I know the question that comes up in your mind when you're reading this. You're going, oh, so is it okay for me to pray for God to destroy my enemies? You know, we had that, I don't know how many times in the Bible Answer Show we had that question come up. Is it okay to pray that way? Well, I know there was another time where, where David said, you know, break their teeth. So, we, we kind of got to wrestle with this question. Is it okay for us as a New Testament believer to pray that way? Well, I want you first to look at, in this particular case, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but in this particular case, David was not asking Uh, to destroy other people that's not what he says what he does say if we look at it closely he says in your loving kindness god because you're a kind god cut off my enemies that word cut off there uh, in hebrew means put to an end Um, he's asking to there to be an end to this evil that's taking place that's what he's really asking for but then he does say Destroy those who afflict my soul. Now that's interesting. I want you to think about this. I think David, whether he realized it or not when he was praying this prayer, was actually not asking for the destruction of these people, but he was asking for the destruction of Satan and his demonic presence. That's what he's asking for. Because who is our enemy? Who is the one who afflicts our soul? That's Satan and his demons. It's not people. Jesus told us, and we have to filter everything we learn in the Old Testament must be filtered through the New Testament to have the right perspective. Can I say that one more time? Everything you read and learn in the Old Testament must be filtered through the New Testament for us to have the proper understanding of it. Jesus told us in Matthew and Luke to love our enemies And pray for those who persecute us. And he's speaking there about people. He's saying those people in your life who are trying to afflict you, those who are persecuting, those who may hate you, you are to love them the same way I do. Oh, God. That's a tough one. I can't do that without you, Lord. We're to love them in that way. And he said we're to pray for them. 
But I do believe that David is correct if he is praying against the demonic forces. And I think we certainly could and can and should pray against the evil forces that are taking place in this world. I think that should always be part of our prayer. I think when we're asking, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking that, are we not? And see, the good news is, you know, we're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights, and we're going to get to the end of that book, and we already know what takes place. We know that they are going to be destroyed. So maybe we can go back to that. Answer me quickly here, Lord. (laughs) Get them destroyed sooner than later. How many of you would like that? Amen? I'd love that if God wiped out all the demonic forces right now. But I know he has a plan and it's going to be in his timing. But I can pray for that and I can pray in all earnestness that God would do that. And I know that in many of your lives, many of you that come uh, for prayer, that's one of the things that we pray, that the enemy would not be allowed to work in your life, that you would be protected from the enemy. That's a good good prayer. So as we kind of wrap this up this morning i i just want to ask you are you in desperate need of some help this morning is there something in your life that you've just been longing for god to do that you have a need that you're really desperate for him to answer i i pray that you'll take these principles that that david gave us on how to come to god and ask for that help and i just want to sum them up for you real quickly here and If you hadn't written them down before, you might want to just do that now. Number one, don't be afraid to plead passionately for God's help. Don't be afraid to plead passionately for God's help. Number two, acknowledge that God answers according to what? Us? No. His goodness, His mercy, His righteousness, His faithfulness, not yours. Number three, Be real about what you're thinking and feeling. Be real with God. You know, some people ask me, is it okay to be angry at God? And I go, you know, I don't get that. I I really don't, and, and, and I don't mean that you shouldn't do that. But I don't get that because I know if there's something wrong, I'm old enough now to know that it didn't have to do with God. It had to do with me. If there's something wrong in my life, it was either outside circumstances Or it was something I did that brought this on. So I don't get mad at God. But I'm not saying it's wrong to you. If you're mad at God, tell him. Tell him. If you're desperate, tell him. If you're anxious or feel fearful, tell him. Be real with God. Number four, ask God to rescue you. But be willing to have him change you rather than the circumstance if that's what he wills. Ask him to rescue, ask him to meet your need, but be willing to have him change you as well. Number five, know, believe, and trust that God will answer your prayer. Believe and trust that God will answer your prayer, because he will. The answer is either going to be yes, it's going to be no, or it's going to be wait for further instructions. That's what it's going to be. But he will always answer. He will never leave a prayer unanswered. Number six, remember that he has worked in your life before and he will work in your life again. You can take that to the bank. Number seven, if your desperate situation seems to be caused by another person, remember that your real battle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians 6, 2. And pray accordingly, pray accordingly, that you know that you're really fighting spiritual forces, not that person. And then eight, and lastly, remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 24. He said this, and I find this really interesting. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Remember at that point in time, they were asking much differently. And Jesus said to them, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, and that's what he speaks to us. Ask, and you will receive according to his will. And when you receive, your joy will be made full. So if that's you this morning, if you have a desperate need, I I pray that, that God will use what we've spoken about this morning and that you'll be able to go to God in that way. And, and maybe, just maybe, your desire to pray will grow stronger as you see God work more and more and your, your prayer life be more effective. I know this, that the more God answers us that we can see and the more that we pray in God's will and so it gets answered according to the way we prayed, um, it, it really enhances our time of prayer. We trust God more and more. So if that's you this morning, I pray that God will work in your life. And if you don't have a desperate need this morning, that's awesome. Go to God this morning and thank Him that you don't have any of those desperate needs this morning. But I promise you, you may not have one today, (laughs) but I promise you, you will. It is coming because Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for who you are, for your faithfulness, your righteousness, your ability, God, to answer any prayer that we have. And Lord, you said in your word also that if we would just trust you and lean not in on our own understanding, that you would give us the desires of our heart. And I believe that means two things, Lord. I believe it means that you actually place the right desires in our heart. And then as we pray those desires, they come to pass. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray this morning that for each one here, that they will be trusting you this morning, that they will come to you with their need, um, their desperate need, that they'll stretch their hands out to you this morning. Lord, and I pray for each one that does that, for each one that comes before you in a real and passionate way, with a desperate need, God, that you will meet that need, that you will either change the circumstance or you will change them within the circumstance to grant their need, Lord, because ultimately our deepest need is, like David said, revive and refresh our soul, Lord. That's what we need more than anything. And Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning that their true need is to come to you for the very first time and to put their their life in your hands to trust you for salvation, I pray that they would do that this morning. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have never fully given your life over to Jesus Christ. And maybe you realize this morning that you need to do that, that you have a God who loves you, cares about you, and wants to answer your prayer. 
wants to meet your needs, desires passionately to meet your need. And if that's you this morning, I, I just ask you to just uh, kind of follow this prayer here and mean it with your heart. Lord Jesus, I want to ask you into my heart this morning, into my life this morning. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior this morning. God, I realize that I'm a sinner just like everyone else in this room, that I've been disobedient to you and I need you for salvation to save me from your judgment. As David prayed, don't judge me, Lord. Um, And I want to receive your gift of salvation freely given this morning. Make me your child this morning. And I desire to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.